Launching rockets doesn't have to be rocket science with MongoDB. While you might not be launching rockets, modern apps need to incorporate analytics just like NASA and SpaceX. To see how MongoDB Atlas shifts real-time analytics into your applications, check out our three-part live stream where my guest Jay Runkle will build an application in real-time, simulating a rocket launch with multiple devices generating one million metrics per second. The fun starts live on LinkedIn and YouTube Live on March 15th at 10 a.m. Eastern. Visit the show notes for this episode or click the banner for more details. Hi everyone, my name's Paul Doan of MongoDB. Stay tuned for the MongoDB podcast. Today we're going to talk about MongoDB's aggregation framework. You can think of aggregations as an, almost an extension of MQL. It's additional commands you can send to the database wherever it lives to analyze the data and accumulate totals and sums and averages and the like from the data rather than just asking a question of, you know, find me this person by by these details and getting a single record back. So it's in it's in the core database. It lives wherever the database lives. You're listening to the MongoDB Podcast. MongoDB Podcast. Exploring the world of software development, data, and all things MongoDB. And now your hosts, Michael Lynn and Nick Raboy. Paul, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's great to be here. Looking forward to it. Terrific. So uh, I'm excited to talk about the aggregation framework. It's a really powerful set of capabilities built into the MongoDB query language. And uh, today we're going to dive a little bit uh, deeply into this, this powerful capability. And, um, but before we go there, Paul, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to the audience? Let, let folks know who you are and what you do. Yeah, sure. So um, yeah, um, as you can probably tell from the accent, I'm from the UK. So I've been at MongoDB for just over seven years now. I'm a solution architect at MongoDB. So I work with our customers that are starting on new projects and sort of one wondering whether MongoDB is the right technology as part of that stack, that solution. And then secondly, if they're going to use MongoDB, how best to use that to solve that problem and kick them off in the right way. Fantastic. Well, uh, the focus of today's episode is going to be on that aggregation framework. And I'm curious, um, when you started working with MongoDB, first of all, what time frame did you join MongoDB? Yeah, it was late 2013. So um, both the both the database and and the company were very different beasts back then. Things have changed a lot. You know, it's uh, it's it's been a it's been an enjoyable roller coaster journey, uh, ups and downs. Let's say. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. And what state was the aggregation framework back in 2013 when you joined? It was pretty early. So um, actually, uh, it, I, I think if I recall rightly. I joined just after the release of MongoDB, which would have been 2.2, that first introduced the aggregation framework. And so it was it was an exciting time. Um, actually, it really showed the way of, of a way of processing masses and amounts of data that we hadn't thought about before. But it had its rough edges back then. You know, um, it, it was a 1.0 release, essentially. And so the, the, the usual caveats came with that. So, Paul, you're a solutions architect at MongoDB. Can you tell us a little bit about your experiences in this particular field? Yeah, so um, it, uh, solution architects, uh, we work, you know, we, we obviously work for a company that sells products ultimately, and, and we work with 
our sales team in terms of uh, helping our clients understand uh, what MongoDB's capabilities are and where best to use it. Um, in reality, as a solution architect, you need to understand both the technology itself, which takes a while. I mean, people just think it's a database, but there's a lot to it. Um, but you also need to understand the use cases and learn that and, and, and the business applicability and, and, and understand that the potential business value that that technology might unlock. Um, so it is quite challenging. It's, it's quite a challenging role. and There's a number of stakeholders involved. It's not just about the technology, even though in my heart, it, I love the technology is the thing that, that, that gets me out of bed every morning. And do you specialize as something um, as a solutions architect or are you kind of a jack of all trades? We're a jack of all trades, which can, can be frustrating and, um, at times because you want to go deep on some stuff. And, and, and so, you know, like with aggregation framework, I've actually taken the time myself sort of, in some of my downtime to, to sort of go deeper because you have to be a jack of all trades. Um, in reality, if I look across uh, my colleagues, all of us sort of know the technology to, uh, to a certain degree. And, and we probably all have our specialisms following our passions, if you like. Yeah, that makes for a really powerful team, um, you know, especially when you're working with a wide variety of use cases and industries and, and talking to a number of different customers, I'm sure. So how often do you get to work with the aggregation framework when you're out there working with customers? Yeah, I mean, it comes up, it comes up quite often. Um, the aggregation framework is a bit of a hidden jewel in, in, in the database, as I'm sure you guys know as well. Um, it's, um, it's one of those things that's really hard to articulate the value and correlated directly to business value. But as soon as people start using it, they sort of see the power of it. So it, it, it's one of those things that we tend to get tends to get introduced later in the conversations with the clients and organizations I'm working with. And, uh, but it definitely comes into the picture, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, even if you're doing real time applications that just want the here and now data from the database and, and, and aren't particularly interested in analytics um, per se, that there always comes the point where that organization is going, actually, I am accumulating data here and that has all the value. How can I unlock the value of that? Um, even if that wasn't their in initial intention. And, and so it definitely comes into play, but it's not always the, the primary driver to begin with. So let's talk a little bit more about the aggregation framework. And for the folks that are listening that are thinking, well, I know MongoDB is a database and I store data in it. And there's MongoDB Atlas, which is the online service. Where is the aggregation framework? How do they find it? And, and how can they begin to use it? Sure, no, that's a good question. So. Um, Really, the aggregation framework—it's probably misnamed. It, it, it sounds—it sounds like it's a separate product when it's not. It's part of the core database engine, if you like. So I th I'm sure most of the listeners are familiar with MongoDB Query Language (MQL), and they can write an application that, that can talk to MongoDB database today using MQL. And that, that database might be on-premise on a community version of MongoDB. They might be using um, a paid-for version of MongoDB that has some extra sort of features around the edge and getting support from us as an organization, or they may be using MongoDB and Atlas, our database as a service in the cloud. In all of those cases, they're still going to use MQL from their application to query the data. You can think of aggregations as an, almost an extension of MQL. It's additional commands you can send to the database wherever it lives to analyze the data and accumulate totals and sums and averages and the like from the data rather than just asking a question of you know find me this person by by these details and getting a single record back so it's in it's in the core database it lives wherever the database lives i think it uh i think it does more than just aggregate like 
find the totals and the averages and things like that, right? You can actually manipulate the data as it comes through as well, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. So a lot of, um, uh, you know, it, it, it's used for a lot of use cases. It, it, it's as much used for transforming data and transforming the shape of the data as it is for accumulating data. You're absolutely right. So if you even start to think about use cases of moving data from one database to another, maybe from, from an Oracle or a MySQL or a Postgres to MongoDB, where you might use um, an ETL tool, an extract transform load tool, if you think about the transform bit, the transformation bit, that's a, that's something that the aggregation can achieve. And actually, some uh, some users out there are using a, a form of that called um, ELT, extract from the source database, load to the destination database in that raw format, and then use the power of aggregations to transform that data into the shape that they really want. So absolutely, it's, it's just as powerful for transformations as it is for accumulating, if you like. And, and in reality, um, what you're normally doing is a mix of both. So I know a lot of people listening to this podcast, they're going to be coming from a relational background. They're going to have a strong familiarity with, with SQL and maybe very low familiarity with MongoDB or the aggregation framework. As somebody who's familiar with SQL, what kind of command like operator comparisons would, would you say there are? Can you, can you show some of the popular ones? Yeah, so uh, I guess the one that comes immediately to mind um, when we talk about accumulating sums and averages is the equivalent of group by in SQL. So at a very low level, you can think of an aggregation as being a little bit like the group by um, part of an SQL statement. Now, that's doing the aggregation an extreme disservice in terms of it, all its capabilities. One other way I think about the aggregation framework when explaining it to, to my relational friends, and, and I have a relational background just like most people do, is... Um, it means that having not having to jump the chasm like they've had to in the past. You know, if I think back five years or so, relational people were suddenly faced with something like Hadoop and MapReduce, where they have this massive set of redundant file system and extremely low-level raw commands to to be able to apply, to be able to to um, apply against a massive data in parallel and bring that together. And that was a world away from SQL, this very nice high-level declarative language. Actually, um, the way of thinking about MongoDB is, is giving you that benefit of going against a massive data that might be scaled out, but almost giving you the same type of high-level 4GL language, if you like, that SQL provides. It's not syntactically the same, uh, and there's reasons for that. It, it can't necessarily be. But actually, in a lot of ways, if you're coming from SQL, um, or SQL, as I call it, having an Oracle background from back in the day, um, in, you know, once you get over the initial hump of learning the aggregation framework, it's a lot more familiar to you than it is to say go to to that whole MapReduce world or or Spark world where you're then dropped into drop writing a lot of you know Scala code or Spark code and and get really being dropped into the the low level guts of this being a distributed data set. It's keeping that similar level of abstraction from your data that something like SQL does. I'm not sure if that makes sense at all. Yeah, it, it makes does. perfect sense. Thanks for that for that explanation. So I, I do want to drop a, a note to the listeners. Uh, we did an episode way back on uh, episode number 12 with Asya Komsky. She's also an, an aggregation framework expert. So if you're looking for additional information, we, we also go fairly deep into the aggregation framework back in episode 12. And Mike, it's interesting you mentioned that actually, because I've just written a book about the MongoDB aggregation framework. And Asya is... Um, is like the most sort of knowledgeable person of the aggregation framework that probably exists. 
on this earth. And in that book, I, I actually refer to Asya as uh, Mongodb Aggregations Royalty. I think she actually likes that, uh, likes that title. So that might be sticking. <laughs> yeah, she's, uh, she's definitely one of the most knowledgeable people about MongoDB and specifically the aggregation framework. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. So, Paul, tell me a little bit more about this book. Yeah, so um, it, it was, I guess, I mean, you know, where are we now? It's May 2021. We're still in the middle of the pandemic. Um, like most people, I've been trying to find ways to uh, keep sane, basically, uh, being stuck at home all the time. So probably five, six months ago, um, I started working on a project in my own time at the weekend just to keep myself occupied, really. And it was around the aggregation framework. Um, it's actually a little bit hazy, even though it's only six months ago, what I was actually trying thinking of doing at the point at that point and, and what I was doing at some point, maybe four months ago, it started to become evident. I was probably writing a book here, but it, it wasn't really the intention. It sounds weird. Uh, and so then I got more, much more serious about that. So um, actually in the last few days, I've actually published the book online. Um, and, and the book is based, it's called Practical MongoDB Aggregations. It's basically doing two things. It's providing a set of sort of opinionated guidelines for how best to use the aggregation framework in terms of uh, development methodology, iterating on it, and performance, and getting most performance out of it. And then it's just providing some some examples of common scenarios out there. You know, we have a very good set of documentation for MongoDB, the manual, as some people call it. Um, but that's really a reference guide. It, 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 um, you know, if you want to know what a particular operator in the aggregation framework does and what parameters it takes, you go and look at that reference guide. But sometimes it's probably it can be difficult to understand hey, I need to manipulate this set of data in this way, these ways that requires these set of phases. How would I typically assemble them together? So the second part of the book is really giving examples of that. So it's interesting that you mentioned phases and, you know, aggregations can be, can be stacked, right? The, the development of an aggregation query evolves such that you can, you can begin with a simple find command and then convert that to an aggregation and similarly extract data or retrieve data from the database and pass it to another phase. So sort of like pipes work in Unix where you, you execute one command and the output of that command becomes the input to the next in the chain. The aggregation works in that way. So talk a little bit about some of the popular phases or operators in an aggregation query. Yeah, that's it's a good way of thinking about it. It is just a set of stages. I want to do this to my data. Then I want to do this to my data. I want to do that, then do this to my data. And, and those phases or stages, those operations you might want to do, as you say, one might be a match, what we call a dollar match. I want to just, uh, I want to just basically operate on a subset of data. So I'm going to target as my first stage, a subset of data with a match. And then um, maybe I want to sort that uh, by date of birth was one of the common reoccurring fields. So you would have a sort stage that would take the output of the match stage and apply a sort to that. But then maybe you only want the first, the 10 youngest people. So then you might have a limit stage that takes the output of the sort stage and will apply a limit. And then maybe you don't want all the details about the people and the people records. You just want their first name, last name, and, and maybe their date of birth. So you might use a projection as a fourth stage to project that out. Now, there are others. I'm not giving examples there, but there's dollar group that you might want to more group and accumulate on. Um, but, but yeah, it, it enables um, the benefit of that, that composability, it enables you to bake uh, break up a complex problem into a set of stages. And what you can do is just sort of disable or comment out all the later stages and just focus on getting the first stage right. And then you move to the next stage and then you move to the next stage. 
in a lot of ways, it's not that difficult. Uh, really, the reality is, I think why some people sometimes find the aggregation framework a little bit daunting is it's a slight paradigm shift in, in that it's almost like a functional programming language, which basically says, um, you know, that it, a functional programming language just takes the input and produces an output with no side effects. And then the next function takes that output uh, um, and, as an input and then produces another output. A bit like you said, like a, a Unix pipeline with, um, with, with pipes in between. Um, that, that can maybe be a very different paradigm than maybe a, an imperative or procedural programming language where you're going if and else and whatever. Now, you might think that's more intuitive, but really in those situations, you're working in one thread and one piece of data. How do you actually build something that scales, that's logical, that rather than operating on one record, one piece of data, is going to operate on 10 billion records? And so that's the trick it's trying to pull, but still provide that composability as you can actually build this up over time. So once people get their head around that, it can then it, it then almost becomes simple again. So to begin with, it can seem hard. You get over that sort of shift in your mind about how you view what it's trying to do, and then it tends to become a lot more simple after that. So when working on these phases and trying to master each phase before you move on to the next one, what kind of tooling is available so that way the developer can test all of this, maybe visually or through code or or whatever? Yeah, so um, there, there are a number. Um, I think probably most of um, people listening to this podcast know that we have a command line tool called The Shell. And we're currently in the process of bringing out the new version of the shell, which is which is a lot nicer. It's called Mongo SH or Mongo Mongosh. I don't think we've really standardised on the colloquial term yet, um, but essentially it's a command line. Now some people prefer to use that, and and they may paste in this this aggregation pipeline. It's got four stages, if you like, and then they might comment some out and push that through again and see where they get to, and that's and that's perfectly fine. Uh, it's probably the way I work. Maybe I'm a bit old school, having been here seven years. But we also provide a nice GUI tool, which is really capable as well, called Compass. People probably know about it. That has a really nice uh, user interface to be able to build aggregation pipelines. The nice thing about that is you can very quickly just disable stages. And also, it will show you in line, say you've got four stages in your pipeline, a match, a sort, a limit, and a project. It enables you to see in line, as, as the data is flowing through, what the output is of each stage. Versus with the shell, you're sort of having to comment out those later, later stages, run it, and just see the output out of that first stage or two. And once you're happy, then you may then bring the next one in. Both are, are, are perfectly applicable approaches, and both work quite nicely. What people also have to remember is, in reality, where does most aggregations end up running? They don't end up running from, from Compass, the GUI, or the, the command line shell. You know, the, 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 the underlying language when you're prototyping an aggregation is in JavaScript. But actually, that's not where these aggregations are going to be run from. If you're a team building an application in Java, for example, that's going to go live into production on an app tier, that's where you're going to ultimately embed your aggregations. So typically, people will use something like the shell or compass to prototype the aggregation set of straight stages more generically. And then they will port that into the programming language of choice. Uh, and then it will be part of that Java application. Fantastic. And <clears throat> Um, so we, we kind of took a detour there. I really appreciate the in-depth, uh, the, the look at the the structure and the the capability of of framework of aggregation framework. Uh, but I, I do want to talk to you a little bit more about your approach to publishing this book. Can you give the listeners the name of the book and maybe uh, how they can get a hold of it? Yeah, the book's called uh, Practical MongoDB Aggregations. Um, 
and it, it's available for free online. Um, it, it's in HTML format. So in your browser, it's a bit of a mouthful. You need to go to www.practical-mongodb-aggregations.com. Um, uh, actually, I expect, it's only been out a couple of days. I'm hoping and I expect, give it a couple more days, and when you Google Practical MongoDB Aggregations, you should hopefully get a hit and you can get straight there. But it, it's a nice online resource that you can use, that you can read if you want to learn more about the aggregation framework or more just refer to when you're when you're uh, prototyping aggregations and it's there available in your browser basically so it's interesting you're providing the book for free will it ever be a hardcover book or do you intend to sell it with an ISBN yeah good 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 question so maybe it's worth talking about my motivating factors a little bit um I wrote a chapter about a product called WebLogic probably 11, 12 years ago. Um, just one chapter, it was 68 pages, I think it was. I swore never ever to do that again. It was so painful. Um, and I'm not putting publishers down and they've got time limits and stuff like that, but it wasn't an enjoyable experience. And as I say, I wasn't necessarily starting out to create a book this time round. Um, I also realized that, that, that technical books aren't something you necessarily make a lot of money out, out of. And I'm not really driven by money in, in this sense. So I had no interest in, in trying to make money out of a book. Um, also, the, the frustration I can find with books is as soon as they go live in a paper version, they're sort of frozen in time. And there's always some errata, some things that have gone wrong with that. And, and then things change. And we know in the MongoDB world of our product that, that things are very fast moving in terms of capabilities coming along and practices and stuff like that. And how do you really keep up with that? You know, it's, you're probably looking at best two, three years uh, gap between a first edition and the second edition. So I want much more agility. So in some ways, I think of this as a product. It's a one zero that's out. You know, it, it has to be polished. It has to be consumable. It has to be of a certain quality. But actually, there's a roadmap attached to this. Um, as well, so I expect that to be to evolve over time. So that really starts to demand an electronic medium. Plus, also, you know, I'm interested in as many people using MongoDB aggregations as possible. So I want it to be free and electronically available. Um, now, I probably need to look in at some point to see how I can make a PDF version available and maybe an EPUB version of, available for electronic re, uh, readers. And I'll probably look to do that very soon and make that available as well. Have I precluded doing a paper version of the book? Um, not completely. So um, the way the book is licensed with um, a, a, a Commons type license, it, we we you know we have the we have the ability to turn that into a paper book in the future, but it'd still be free electronically. Um, we may do that, um, but the other factor to think about is part of the book is is giving you examples with a nice copy and paste button to be able to go and paste into the shell, compass and try out yourself. The second part of the book is about practical examples. And I'm still not sure how much that would translate to a paper book. And so actually by getting this out and getting people using it, and getting that feedback, that might influence me going forward to whether I think a paper version is a good idea or not. So um, the answer is I don't know. That <laughs> that was the long answer. The short answer is I don't know. Watch the space, I guess. I'm curious about um, the overlap between the MongoDB documentation, and, and I think you made reference to this earlier, uh, Will this ever, you know, join the MongoDB documentation set? Probably. I, I can imagine maybe some bits of it might go into that over time. 
my my hunch is, my guess is, probably not. It's not a conversation that we necessarily had, and I have been working with the documentation team generally. Um, there are a bit of this that are probably going into some of the MongoDB university courses that hope, hopefully people are using, and there's a really good aggregation course there, and that's being uplifted as we speak, and there's bits that might go into there. Um, in fact, actually, as this has gone live, there are elements in the MongoDB online doc document, the manual, that actually reference this book in places to do with aggregations. So there's an interrelationship between the two. Um, I think I think that the stall is set out for the MongoDB manual as being reference material primarily, rather than uh, being oriented on on sort of best practices or, or, or very large use case scenarios. I doubt that will change, at which point there is really demand for both of these. And I see them as being very symbi symbiotic, if you like, but um, they're for slightly different purposes. And there's, there's very little overlap. I actually I actually reference right up front in the book about getting more help is here's your here's your go-to guide you should be using. If you want to know what is this option for this operator, this my book's not going to tell you. You go to that page and look up, look that up in, in the MongoDB documentation. Got it. That makes sense. Um, so inside the book, do you talk about any kind of the uh, common misconceptions that people make around the aggregation framework? Yes. Um, yeah, and it probably comes, it, it's probably, I, I do upfront in terms of, I talked about it before, about actually being more akin to a, a functional programming language and just shifting that mindset. I also talk about how it might be solving problems like we've talked about before about MapReduce, Taking massive amounts of data, data and reducing it down, um, but 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 being very different in the way it approaches that. Um, probably one of the areas where some of the you know have to debug some myths around some of the advice around performance and some of the assumptions that people make naively or can do when building aggregations that, and result in aggregations that aren't necessarily performance. So I, I do call out some of the best practices around that um, that, that probably everyone people aren't aware of. Uh, and that's to do with things like the concept of streaming stages and blocking stages. And only one or two stages might actually block. And at that point, if it's processing um, you know, a terabyte of data, there's a risk you need to have a terabyte of RAM or more to be able to hold that and, and what happens as a result. Now, often in most cases, uh, there are some changes you can do to your pipeline and your ordering to completely remove that issue out of the way. Um, so it, a lot of the book in the first part is around helping with that guidance. All right, Paul. So uh, folks might be coming to this podcast and, and maybe they've got a ton of experience in another database, maybe from the tabular world or the relational world. What kind of advice might you have for those folks? Maybe it's about the aggregation framework or, or MongoDB in general. Yeah, it's probably worth thinking about MongoDB in general because the aggregation framework is an extension of that mindset. Uh, I mean, what I often say is, this might sound weird, but MongoDB is quite like a relational database, especially as you compare it with the other so-called NoSQL databases. So, you know, um, people sometimes in a hand-wavy way would say, oh, something like MongoDB, it's about unstructured data. It's, that's not the case at all. Data in MongoDB has structure. Fields have types. The difference is the structure may vary from record to record. Um, and that typically reflects the real world. I, I work a lot with banks and payment systems and, you know, uh, I might be making payments with my bank as a consumer and depending on which mechanism I use in the UK, you might be doing a direct debit or a standing order. I might be doing a faster payment as we call it in the UK. Those are different payment schemes where if you actually collate all those payments together in a, into a payments collection like a table, 
actually they might have some common fields like the payment amount and who you're paying, but depending on the different payment scheme, it might have other different fields. So the one one of the main differences coming to MongoDB is okay, it's still structured data, but the structure has variance. So that requires then a less than strict uh, schema. So most people coming from a relational world, of course, expect to be able to define the schema for a table up front. Um, now, with MongoDB, it's not the Wild West. It's not like saying, I can put anything in there and not worry about it. But it's about reflecting that actually there may be variance in that structure. And so that sort of brings across a slightly different approach. The other thing is, um, especially for application developers, in some ways, if they divorce themselves from what they've learned about entity relationships before and think about how they model entities in their programming languages, as say objects in Java or C Sharp or whatever, what they're sort of representing in their database pretty much maps one-to-one. -one. How you represent a person in your domain model in your object tier is pretty much how you're going to represent that in your database tier. And actually, in some ways, the what you what you represent in a MongoDB database reflects real-world entities more. You know, once you in a relational world, you go to something like fourth normal form and, and have a plethora, plethora, if I can say it, of tables uh, and spaghetti between it. Actually, when you look at that entity relationship model, the irony is it doesn't really represent real, real world entities anymore, and, but MongoDB does. Um, don't know if that helps, guys. <laughs> yeah, no, it helps big time. Um, so this, this is a great episode, Paul. Um, I'm sure people have learned a lot, and I'm, I have no doubt that people are going to check out this book more so that it's free. Uh, on top of that. Uh, so that, that's fantastic. Uh, do you have any kind of social media accounts that you want to share in case people want to start following you? Yeah, yeah, I am. I'm a bit old school, so I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on Instagram, um, but I am on LinkedIn. Um, so you can find me Paul Down on there. It's not a common name, so you should be able to find me on there. But actually, you know, reach out to me on Twitter. That's probably the best way. So my Twitter handle is at the Downster. Um, and I think that'll be in the show notes later. So hopefully people can find it there. Um, it's also, if you look up the book, um, the second page of the book with the credits on has got um, a link to my name, but also my Twitter handle as well, or Twitter link. So you can find me there. Fantastic. Well, Paul, thanks so much for spending time with us. It's been a great chat. That's, that's, that's fine, guys. I've enjoyed it. So thanks a lot for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe. Have a question or a suggestion for the show? Visit us in the MongoDB community forums at community.mongodb.com. Launching rockets doesn't have to be rocket science with MongoDB. While you might not be launching rockets, modern apps need to incorporate analytics just like NASA and SpaceX. To see how MongoDB Atlas shifts real-time analytics into your applications, check out our three-part live stream where my guest Jay Runkle will build an application in real-time, simulating a rocket launch with multiple devices generating 1 million metrics per second. The fun starts live on LinkedIn and YouTube Live on March 15th at 10 a.m. Eastern. Visit the show notes for this episode or click the banner for more details.